Well, this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. And I will bring the text up on the screen. We'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. You can also find this passage on page 872 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Since becoming a homeowner, I have uh, had to grow in my experience and capability with tools. Uh, Now, I've had varying degrees of success, depending on what the project was. Uh, But uh, I was reading, reading and one representative uh, from a tool company was talking about tools. And he said, hand tools are simply extensions of our hands themselves. When we misuse our hands, we experience pain. When we misuse, misuse hand tools, the possibility of injury to ourselves and to people around us increases considerably. Misuse can also damage the tool itself and cause it to fail. He goes on, tools are designed for specific needs. Using any tool inappropriately is a step in the wrong direction. A screwdriver is not a chisel or a pry bar. Use tools for their intended purpose. To avoid personal injury and tool damage, select the proper tool and do the job well and safely. Now, wise advice. Wise advice. But we also, when we think about tools, we run into a similar problem when we think about the Sabbath. As Christians, how do we honor the fourth commandment? How do we set aside one day in seven for rest and worship? How do we walk in obedience to that without falling into the same trap that the Pharisees did with this myriad of rules about what you could do and not do on the Sabbath? 
And we can get very confused here, and believers in the church today tend to, uh, the more often tendency is to, is to simply ignore any concept of the Sabbath outside of just church attendance. Less frequently, people in the church can get caught up in a legalistic mindset about the Sabbath and obsess about what they, and especially others, are allowed to do or not do. And in the process, forget our Lord's instructions about the Sabbath, which is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so here Jesus is pushing especially against legalistic thinking and helps us to understand the Sabbath in relation to the kingdom of God itself. And so this morning, we are going to consider the purpose of the Sabbath and then how the Sabbath relates to the kingdom of God. So we ask two questions this morning. First is, what is the Sabbath for? Is really what these verses are all about in verses 10 through 17. In order to comprehend what the Sabbath is for, we need to see this miraculous display of God's goodness. And this already highlights to us the Sabbath is in some way, even if you take the miraculous aspect out, the the Sabbath is about a display of the goodness of God. It was common to invite traveling rabbis to teach in a synagogue if they were in town, and it's no different here. Jesus is going by. They probably heard he was coming and said, hey, would you come speak at the local synagogue? Now, one note by a commentator is, uh, is, is he noted that this is actually the last time Luke records Jesus teaching in a synagogue for the rest of the gospel. But Jesus' teaching and in attendance is a woman who had a disabling spirit that had for 18 years prevented her from being able to stand up straight. Now, we don't have many, uh, basically any more information about her condition than simply that that she had a disabling spirit that, caused, that made it so that she was not able to stand up straight, and she had been in this way for 18 years. Many like to speculate about the spiritual, the, the, the you know, demonic spiritual work here, what caused it, perhaps what medical condition she had, and so on. And, um, but for us, it's simply better to understand what the text says, that this woman had been disabled, particularly in her back, for 18 years. For ne- but near, for nearly two decades... She had this condition. She lived with it. She suffered through it. And as Matthew Henry notes, she somehow found her way to get to church. So, so, but, but note here that she does not instigate this miraculous moment here. She does not ask Jesus to heal her. She's just there at the synagogue. Whether she knew Jesus was coming or not, isn't, we're not told. It doesn't mean that she doesn't believe what Jesus says or that she doesn't trust in Jesus, uh, but we are simply not given any information about her spiritual state. What we are told is, is that Jesus saw her, and called her over to himself, laid his hands upon her, and freed her from her disability, and immediately she was healed. That Jesus heals her highlights his authority and his power as the Savior. He is the one in charge of miracles. He is the one who is sovereign over the miraculous. And, uh, you know, we just concluded our viewing on Wednesday nights of this, this documentary, the, the American Gospel, which I highly recommend to you. And, uh, and that documentary focuses on um, 
uh, a th- about a third of its content on a distinctly American heresy in the Christian faith, which is the prosperity gospel. And this, in this false theology, uh, people are told that they can make a miracle happen, especially for themselves or for others, by ginning up enough false faith, enough faith, believing hard enough, and if you don't get healed or it doesn't work, well, that's because you didn't have enough faith, right? When my friend died in college in the hiking accident, and I've been, you know, we had been taken to the sheriff's office, we'd been interrogated for, for a long time, and it was just, it was clearly just this awful, awful accident, and, and um, uh, I, had, I had someone come to me, somebody I knew, as an acquaintance of mine, who came to me and said, hey, where is his body? Because my pastor wants to resurrect him. And I was like, you probably should talk to his parents. And he's probably at the morgue. I was like, but, you know, but it was just, but he had, but there was this church in town that, you know, they believed if they had enough faith, they could raise the dead. And it was just kind of this prosperity, you know, miracles type thing. And, um, and uh, I never thankfully met that guy. Uh, I, uh, it would have, wouldn't have gone well. But, uh, but there are moments where Jesus does um, comment on the faith of others and in the context of a healing. But there are plenty of accounts where he does not. And so this idea that you know, miracles of healing depend upon how much faith we have or, or the, the, the manner of our prayers or something like that it's just, it's just a, false, it's a false thing. It's not true. Jesus here heals this woman simply by his own sovereign initiative. And not only to bless this woman, but to make a point about the Sabbath and then the kingdom of God. And so what he reveals in doing this miracle, I mean, think about what Jesus, Jesus knows what's going to happen here. He knows when he heals this woman what the response is going to be. And so not only does he want to do good for this woman, but he also wants to do good for the people in that synagogue. Because what comes out, what is revealed, especially in the leadership, is a gross misunderstanding of what the Sabbath is meant for. The synagogue leader was indignant, that is, angry, because he just witnessed something very wrong. He saw the miracle and was like, that is wrong. Okay? But he apparently doesn't want to rebuke Jesus. Right? So you have that guest of honor, and then they say something crazy or something like that, and you're like, do I say something? Do I, you know, do I correct them in front of everyone? Like, how do I go about doing this? And, and, so, and so he goes, well, I'm not going to say anything to the rabbi that we just asked to teach. So instead, I'm going to admonish the crowd and clearly kind of uh, undercut what just happened. It's a very passive-aggressive move, by the way. So, and so he, he doesn't want to rebuke Jesus, and so he tells them, hey, look, you know, so, you know Saturday, the Sabbath day, is not, for, is, not for, is not for healing, okay? And, and so um, it's not for healing, and, and so come back another time, and you can get the healings done then. But then Jesus calls him and everyone else who shares that view a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Well, because... Everybody knows that you've got to feed your animals, even on the Sabbath day. 
And everybody knows that that guy who said, don't heal on the Sabbath day, is going to go home and untie his donkey and walk that donkey over to the watering hole and, uh, and care for his animal. And then he highlights, he says, is not this daughter of Abraham worth more than your ox, than your donkey? Is it not, is it not fitting that, these, the, that her bonds should be loosed on the Sabbath day? So he says, actually, it's, it's the most appropriate day to heal someone, to loose the bonds, to relieve the burden is the Sabbath day. But they would rather treat common animals better than God's own beloved people. And uh, the leaders um, have their hypocrisy revealed, of course, and they can't say anything in back, and so they just kind of hang their heads in shame. They can't, they can't say anything. But what do the people do? They rejoice. Now, they don't rejoice, though, as we might, because we saw that we, uh, the Pharisees got taken down a peg. We're like, ha-ha, yeah, take that, Pharisees, right? Why do they rejoice? Because of all the wondrous things that he was doing. They rejoice at the revelation of the kingdom of God that has come by this miracle. Now, but think about this. So when we talk about the Sabbath... When did God first introduce a Sabbath rest? Genesis 1, right? The seventh day, he rested, and he blessed it. He hallowed it. He sanctified it. He set it apart and called it the Sabbath day. And then and, and, and he introduced the Sabbath and observing the Sabbath even before he actually made it an official command in, uh, before Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are, before even that, he had them resting on the Sabbath day when he introduced manna. He said, okay, you collect all the other days except the Sabbath day. You're going to collect double the day before. That way you can rest. Now remember, these were slaves that he had just freed from Egypt. And he had just relieved their bonds, loosened their bonds. And in addition, he's giving these former slaves something they had never had before in their lifetime, a day off, a day of rest. He loosened, he loosened their bonds even during the week. I mean, generation after generation, for 400 years, they had been enslaved. And they did not know what it was to rest Their parents didn't know what it was to rest. And so how do you learn how to do something that your parents and your grandparents didn't know how to do? That's a hard thing. And so the Sabbath actually became the sign of the Old Covenant, signifying God's relationship with his people as the one who unburdens his people, who unties their bonds and relieves them, that they may dwell with him in worshipful rest. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. Worshipful rest in communion with God and his people. And even as it was given in the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment requires it and calls us to protect that worshipful rest, to to put some barriers around it, to put some definition to it. And even as the Sabbath was transformed from Saturday to Sunday by the resurrection of Christ from the last day of the week to the first day of the week, which is why we worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead on, on Sunday. Uh, but 
the, the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath that we call it now, it means this is that means that it's still the most fitting day to loose the bonds of those who are enslaved, to relieve the burden of those who are bent over spiritually and physically. The Sabbath is meant to be a blessing and not a burden to the people of God. So what is the purpose of the Christian Sabbath for us then? Because we can go, here's a great story, miracle of Jesus, what a wonderful thing. He exposes the legalism of the Pharisees. That's, that's all wonderful and good. But how do we rest? Well, certainly, it is a day, uh, the Sabbath is meant to be a day of worshipful rest where we avoid where we can the, our routine labors and even our routine recreations that we get into in the week. It remains a day that is, is fit for godly conversation. The, the Puritans called it um, conference, Christian conference, where you would meet together and discuss the things of, of Christ and the, and the, and the Lord. Uh, it's a day of contemplation of God's goodness, a day of prayer. It's a day where we set the Lord at the center of it, and we encourage him one another, and we build those things in that help to put him at the center of our life. And trust me, I know as a father of six children how challenging that can be. And it doesn't mean that we don't play video games. It doesn't, I mean, that we don't play board games, that we don't um, do some of the things that are even similar. But we try to make it different. We try to do something different. And so um, it was, uh, um, and sometimes there's some things that just need to be done. And you got to get them done. The, the, the ox is in the ditch, and you got to get it done, all right? And just, it, that, that happens too. And so it's hard to talk about the Sabbath because I want, the, I want the Christian Sabbath, I want Sunday, the Lord's Day, to be a blessing for myself and my children. I want it to be a blessing for my congregation. But I, what I don't want to do is to heap burdens on your backs. But at the same time, uh, at the same time, we want to make sure that we're actually resting. It's still a, it's still a Christian Sabbath. It's still a rest. It's still a thing that, that, that's different from the rest of the week. So, so how is it different? The, so, that's, so, those, so these are the questions that we need to wrestle with, and, and even the structures that we may need to think about, we need to reorder or, or, um, in, in our lives. And so, and, okay, so, but this is why, um, you know, uh, when we talk about the Sabbath day, it's a day fit for, for dwelling on the goodness of God, for displaying the goodness of God by assisting other people. Well, we, we, we certainly want to relieve people's spiritual burdens and their spiritual suffering through the proclamation of the gospel, absolutely. But we also seek to relieve their physical suffering. The Westminster Divines who wrote the Westminster Catechisms and the Confession, they wrote in, the, in those documents how Sunday is a day fit not only for public and private worship, but also a day fit for good works, a day for works of mercy, a day for visitation of the sick, of care for the needy. It's a perfect time to go and to do those things. And so it's a day for loosing bonds and restoring the people of God because this itself points to the good news of Jesus Christ. It follows the pattern even of our Lord on the Sabbath. Now, what comes next here seems a bit out of left field, and it's really easy to miss the connection, but there is an apparent connection, a, a 
question that Luke seems to assume here that his audience is asking in, in hearing about this miracle, which is, what does all this Sabbath talk ha- mean for the kingdom of God? And it's an unexpected question, to be sure, uh, and, and t- because I don't think anyone was expecting Luke to start t- to put the next verses in there after this miracle to all of a sudden start talking about the kingdom of God. But he says in verse 18, therefore he said. So there's some logical connection between this miraculous healing of the woman and, what, and these two little parables that he gives about the kingdom. And, and look, and if you're like, that's kind of weird and confusing, I agree. That's where I was at when I was looking at it, okay? So you're not alone if you go, I don't understand that. I didn't either at first. All right, but what's the problem here? What is this, uh, what is, what is uh, what, what's the issue, at, what's at stake here? Well, Jesus is coming to proclaim the kingdom of God. Repent and believe, the kingdom of God is at hand. That is his central message that he would preach and teach about all over the place. He says, this is why I was sent, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And so what we have is, we have, and so we have here the leaders of God's people opposing his message that are unwilling to loose the burdens that are upon God's own people that are that, that are missing the very point of the sabbath for their own self-righteous ends and so how so how shall the kingdom of God come if the the, the people of God have leaders like this and we may ask similar questions today as we look around and see not a few churches whose leaders uh, are falling into sin, whose, whose, the culture of that church is toxic and legalistic, who've, who, have, who have departed from the, the, the orthodox teaching of the faith and the truth of the scriptures. Well, we, all need, to, we need to remember our covenant history, our Bible history here. The kingdom of God always has seemed to hang by a thread throughout the history of God's people. It hung by a thread through Baron Abraham and then through the isolated Isaac and Jacob with his troubled house. It hung by a thread in the exodus of the people of God enslaved when their children nearly murdered. It hung by a thread in the period of the judges and almost disappeared in the exile. But here now is Jesus, the promised Messiah, proclaiming the kingdom of God coming into the world, even in the face of troubling leadership from the people of God. And so he tells two parables about the kingdom of God. The first revealing that the kingdom of God will extend to all the nations. It may not look like it now, he says, but the kingdom of God will extend to all the nations. And because it's like a tiny mustard seed that planted will grow into a tree that will provide a shade for the birds. Now, uh, trees giving shade to birds is actually a familiar picture in the Old Testament uh, of the inclusion of the Gentile nations into the covenant blessings as the prophets foretold. Now, you can read about it in Ezekiel 17 and Daniel chapter 4. It's possible that this imagery is even being played upon 
with the, with the image that John saw in Revelation, at the, end of the very, at the end of the book of Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth, he sees the tree of life at the center, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. But the point being made here is fairly simple. What starts out surprisingly and unimpressive, unimpressively small, the kingdom of God will one day extend to include those who are currently outside of it. Indeed, we see this begin to come true even in the pages of the New Testament where the men, women, and children of the nations repent and believe the gospel, where the gospel spreads further out and further out and further out, beginning in Jerusalem and then moving out to the farthest reaches of the known world at the time. Even today, the gospel reaches all over the world. And the kingdom of God extends with every conversion, every reception of God's grace. And secondly, Jesus says that the kingdom of God will transform everything. Verses 20 to 21. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman put into a decent quantity of flour. And that leaven will not stop until the chemical process is complete and all the flour has been leavened. Now, Jewish teaching often would associate uh, leaven with sin. Jesus even used it when he referred to the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees to his disciples. Uh, but it is used here positively to describe the silent but continual growth of the kingdom of God until it has permeated and penetrated the world, even the universe. The kingdom of God will not stop. It will not be hindered even by misguided and self-righteous religious leaders or even pastors. It will keep pressing forward silently underneath the surface until it is complete. Well, what does that have to do with the Sabbath? The Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, as we like to call it, is meant to be a picture a preview, a sampling of the goodness of God in his kingdom that is to come. And so as we consider our Sabbath practices today, as we seek to abandon any kind of legalistic spirit about it, but as we recognize our need for rest, our need to, uh, to as we are able, to help relieve the burdens of others, and, the, and as we think about these things, we do need to abandon any kind of obsessive questions about the lists of do's and don'ts. We need to abandon the pretending uh, as if there is no special day uh, of worship and rest. Instead, beginning with the elders, with the deacons, and every Christian, let us consider how we might make this day a preview of the kingdom of God that is to come. How might we make today a day of freedom and joy in Christ? A day where we join together to call upon the name of the Lord, declaring his praise for the glorious things that he is doing in our midst and even the glorious things that he has yet to do. Let's consider this together, that we may grow in our worship and our rest, that our joy in Christ may be complete. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do give us that day of rest. That you call us away that we may be reminded of your grace and goodness. That we may be reminded that you do not love us because of our behavior, but that you loved us before we were worth loving. You loved us when we were sons of disobedience and children of wrath by our very nature and certainly by our actions. You have loved us with an everlasting love in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be the heart of our Sabbath meditations. That as we think about how to honor you and to give you glory and praise, as we think about how to lift up our very hearts and souls to you every Sunday, they would not be filled up with all the things that we're not allowed to do or the things that we wish we could do, but we're being held back. But instead, Lord, may we center our hearts upon Christ, our thoughts upon him. May our conversations with our loved ones and our families be how can we make Jesus more a part of our lives, more a part of our conversations. Why? Because we need him. Because he is ours. The gospel promises are ours. I need it and you need it. Lord, may these things take up our minds and our hearts and our lives. And Lord, may the Sabbath day be transformed into a day of rejoicing, a day of your goodness on display, a day where we celebrate the bonds of spiritual slavery being loosed, that we may follow Christ in freedom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.